Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 28th, 2019, and this is episode 2499 of the Survival Podcast. It's Wednesday, so it's interview day. Garrett Todd's coming on. Who's Garrett Todd? Well, uh, recently I had Tad Fuller on from Electric Farms talking about aquaponics, the hemp industry, farming for a living, startup business, etc. Well, we're going to have the same discussion today because Garrett is, uh, is, is Tad's partner in this whole Electric Farms operation. But we're going to hear from a different guy, different perspective, different thoughts. And uh, a lot of times I've pre-recorded the intro. Today, because of the way things worked out, I've already done the interview and I'm doing the intro now, so I already know how the interview is going to go. This was a freaking awesome interview. You are going to enjoy this one. Uh, really, it was, this was a very conversational interview, and those are my favorite types of interviews. There's some guests. I mean, all you can do is ask them a question and try to pull information out of them. When I get a guest like Garrett was today, where we can just basically we have an outline. Make sure we cover those topics, but we can combo back and forth. Those are the interviews that really go great. Again, I had his partner on for episode 2477, so not that long ago. His name was Tad Fuller. Uh, we'll have Garrett on here with us in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. You want ammo, and you want to buy it in bulk. There's a bunch of reasons why you want to buy it in bulk. Number one is it costs less. Number two, when the gun grabbers start talking, like just happened with the recent school shootings, everybody's like, oh my God, ammo's... Yeah, yeah exactly. The ammo disappears before the guns do. Because most of us have guns, but we always know we could have a little bit more ammo. Get it while it's easy to get and get it at BulkAmmo.com. Sponsor's been with us for seven years, folks. Seven years, that's an eternity in internet age, you know, time. Uh, and they just have lightning fast shipping. And if you can't find it there, it probably doesn't exist. Check it out today, bulkammo.com. And if you're MSB, make sure you get your MSB discount. Next up today, JM Bullion. Um, I have said the same thing about silver and gold since almost the first day that I turned the microphone on over 11 years ago at the Survival Podcast. And that is, you don't go all in, you don't get crazy, don't think the dollar's going to melt into nothingness tomorrow. But there are real problems with the United States economy, and they're systemic and they're long-term. And then there's, when everything's super, when everything's exactly the way it's supposed to be, when the Federal Reserve gets it dead on right, when the economy's good, when everything's as good as it gets, the, the plan is, and the plan that's executed is, devalue the dollar by two to three cents a year, or two to three percent. And they've been very good at that. That's something they've actually pulled off pretty well from 1913 till now. If you look, the dollar's lost like 98% of its value over that period of time. And, of course, there's a compounding effect of continued erosion at 2% to 3% when things go right. So I recommend a wealth assurance program, and I recommend silver and gold as your main way to do that. And I don't get crazy. About 5% of your net wealth, up to about 10% if you want to be a little more aggressive with it. But 5% is my number. And whenever I get silver and gold, I get it from J.M. Bullion. And there's a reason why. Number one, the reason we do silver and gold, it's all the same. 
If you get an American Silver Eagle, it's an American Silver Eagle no matter where you get it. So why pay more for it? If you get a Wilson basketball, you know, specific model, and you get it from Walmart or Amazon, it's the same ball. You buy it wherever it's more convenient and it costs less. So JM Bullion, it costs less than most of the other silver and gold houses, and it's really convenient with free shipping. Uh, they also do a discount for members of the MSB for purchases over $300. No one gets a discount on silver and gold. You do through my program. And they've been a loyal sponsor now for like seven years as well. So who else would you get your silver and gold from? Why would you even go anywhere else? Free shipping, discount, loyalty as a sponsor, you know, all of it, man. Check them out today, jambullion.com. With that, just remind you real quick, hey, MSB is how I pay the bills around here. If you're not a member yet or your membership has expired, please consider becoming one. Uh, I couldn't do this show without the members of the MSB. And if you use the discounts, like the bulk ammo, JM, bullion, uh, hemp magic for CBD oil, and, and the guys here at Electric Farms, they're going to be doing a discount in the future for you as well. Man, all of it, I'm telling you, the discounts add up really fast. The Butcher Box discount alone for people that are Butcher Box members is $120 a year on a $50 membership. Are you kidding me? If you're not a member yet, you should be. It's not free. It makes you money to be a member and support the show that you love. So consider joining. Go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. With that, let's get on into it. I'd like to again welcome uh, from Electric Farms. Uh, again, uh, we had Tad Fuller on for episode 2477. And uh, Garrett Todd is one of uh, Tad's partners in this operation. And he's here to talk to us today about growing better produce aquaponics, growing indoors, being a startup business, securing funding, all of that stuff. With that, man, hey, Garrett, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, how are you doing, man? I'm great, man. I was really excited when I saw your um, interview request come through because you mentioned uh, Tad, who we had on just a while ago, and I know you guys are working together. That was a fantastic interview, so digging deeper into the subjects of you know growing produce, better produce, in fact, aquaponics, the hemp market, and the struggles of being a startup business, all stuff that I really think is interesting and I know my audience will like. But I like to try to get the audience to connect with you. So can you take us back like, I don't know, you're spacing out in study hall in high school or something like that, trying to figure out what to do with your life, and how do you end up an aquaponics hemp farmer from there? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big stretch there for a lot of people. Um, we're doing something that's pretty cutting edge now, of course, uh, but, you know, almost uh, what it's built to get there, you know, to me, it's almost kind of like, you know, I kind of look back at it. People walk into our grow facility and look at it, and it almost look, looks like a spaceship to them, okay. uh, you know, very, very interesting. But, you know, from it's been a very natural progression for me uh, kind of going in there. And now I look at it, you know, it's just a pretty almost commonplace to me. Uh, when I was younger, of course, uh, I grew up uh, very uh, traditional uh, around here uh, for, you know, just a local farm area. Uh, my dad was a soil conservationist, uh, my mother a school teacher, and I kind of grew up around that. And I grew up on a farm. I had a dirt bike, uh, some horses, and, you know, just kind of the old uh, country boy life. And then uh, as I went on, I thought, man, I never wanted to do, you know, kind of what my dad done, or I didn't want to get involved in farming. I wanted to do something that I can make, you know, some good money at with that, which didn't require a lot of skill because <laughs> I saw what hard work uh, it took to really maintain a farm property, uh, to start businesses and, you know, the low margins that farmers got, uh, it just was a big concern of mine. But when uh, I got into school and I got away from Tennessee, I moved into Kansas 
I happened to notice that um, I missed it. You know, I missed being connected to the, to the dirt, getting in, uh, growing things. And uh, so I started a garden in Kansas in some sandy soil, and I soon learned that uh, if you don't keep it or tend to it, uh, your wife is half listening to you as you leave for two weeks of camp. So, <laughs> I so I said to every, yeah, yeah. So I set everything up on an automatic uh, water timer and everything. So my garden, so I could have these, you know, uh, tomatoes that just wasn't available as much uh, where I was at in Kansas is garden tomatoes. And uh, I come back and everything's dead. And I was yeah. like, Hey, uh, what happened? And she's like, well, um, you said everything was automatic. I said, automatic off. so uh you still had to kick it on every night you know so uh that's when i got to researching um you know uh technologies that would be a little more self-regulating or or be able to maintain themselves and uh that's when i got into hydroponics and man what a learning curve you get to reading about that and at that time you know several years ago you're going to learn anything about hydroponics from anybody that was willing to talk with you you had to get on these uh, really underground, almost shady websites yeah. uh, from these master growers that were, you know, growing cannabis underground, you know. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm growing tomatoes, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Those, uh, sure you tomatoes. are. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I mean, I'm really growing tomatoes and peppers. And I, I, in a side story, so several years ago, I was at a uh, hydroponics store, uh, because I was waiting to talk to my accountant and I had to meet him in a different place than normal uh, due to seasonality and I'm, it's like a strip mall and there was a hydroponics store there and I'm like that's cool so I go and I'm wearing one of my t-shirts for my company but it has like this um, kind of star thing on it that kind of looks like a law enforcement emblem and mm-hmm. I don't even think about it I'm in there talking to this dude and they've got like hot peppers and stuff growing in it and this is again several years ago before a lot of this stuff lightened up and uh, he's being really weird, you know, like really nervous. And finally I'm like, well, first of all, I'm sure there's nothing illegal here, but do you think I'm a cop? And he's like, well, maybe. And I'm like, no, dude, I, I run a podcast. <laughs> like, I'm just interested in this stuff. Yeah, but he was all, so I know what you mean. Like, because my buddy and me who've done a lot of like aquaponics, hydroponics and indoor growing have said like, we owe everything. To the world of closet cannabis growers, they figured Absolutely. everything out, and Absolutely. and when, when all of a sudden indoor growing became a thing, like everything we have comes from that world, and it's it's actually pretty cool. But on top of all this, you have like a passion for plants. I kind of do too. I I don't call myself an agriculturist. I call myself a horticulturist. What makes you passionate about plants in of itself? Um. Well. You know, I like to eat. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there is that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I do like a, you know, uh, in this world of convenience, man, you know, uh, flavor is starting to get lost. Uh, I mean, by a long shot. And, um, uh, you know, just flavor itself. But then you come to find out everything that really goes into the produce. And, I mean, me being directly a part of, uh, you know, row cropping and watching uh, exactly how that's done. And, you know, just the whole uh, commercialization of it, you know, I understand, you know, there's margins, businesses, things have to be made. I mean, I, I get it, but when I'm the end consumer and I know other end consumers are looking for something else, I mean, there, there's something that's not being met. And I just, I have a true passion for, you know, plant something organic, something living. And I love the smell, the touch. And, you know, there's almost a reciprocal 
type thing that's happening between me and the plants, you know, because I really like them. Some people would like that with animals, other people, you know, I really like people too, but you know, there's always something you really connect to and it just happens to be plants for me, you know? Gotcha. I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, to me, I think one of the things that did it was I, I come from the world of reptiles and amphibians. I was like an amateur oh, yes, yes. most of my life. And, you know, in that, eventually you finally stop calling everything a corn snake and you learn the Latinic. And when you do that, you start realizing, okay, well, there's, you know, these families and species and subspecies and you start seeing all those patterns. And when I got into plants really heavily doing the same thing, I started realizing so many things that, that were in that plant world and, you know, things that were related that you never really thought of, like, uh, like lamb's quarters and, and, and amaranths and things like that. Like those two things are actually related or orach is in that family. And it just, yeah. to me, it was so fascinating that like all, somebody actually figured all this shit out and all we have to do <laughs> is learn about it. And then, then we can extrapolate things like if this weed grows here and this plant that's been, you know, come out of that same family that weed is in, and we can, yeah, or this other weed, right? Exactly, <laughs> and then we can, yeah, exactly, right. And then we can take that, you know, kind of plant that man has worked with, and we know that if this weed grows in this soil, then this plant will grow in the soil. Things like that, to me, just really were like opening a box. Like, okay, well, look, dude, and to be as simple as possible, there's really crappy wild pigweed amaranth growing there. So if you put like a golden amaranth in that spot, it's probably going to do awesome. And it was like, oh, wow, all this stuff just kind of unlocks itself. And, and that's why I try to use the term horticulture instead of agriculture. You're talking about row cropping yes. and stuff. Agriculture means the culture of fields. Horticulture right. means the culture of plants. And I think probably one of the reasons you like hydro and aquaponics is because that's what you're really doing there. You're taking care of those plants. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a really, you know, I, I really like operating off the KISS principle, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know. And so uh, the more simple it can be and the more control that you have over what you're doing for them, it just, I, I love it even more. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a tech geek and I love technology and I love how it creates uh, new opportunities of business and also uh, frees up, uh, you know, our ability to do more, you know, for our families and have more times for ourselves. And where we don't have to work as hard to get what we need throughout the day. Absolutely, man. So you did come from the world of the agriculturists and what have you, and you did see the struggles in the low margins and everything that goes on with being a farmer, especially being – see, right now, for instance, we have, you're hearing about all the farmers suffering in, in, the, in the country because of Trump's tariffs or whatever. And most people don't realize like most of these people they're calling farmers are like a guy that owns like – 80,000 acres that's almost all done mechanically. And those guys, you know, they live or die by it, but they're really in a real estate business and their real estate pays for itself in a certain way. Like the farmer that you're talking about is a guy with 40 acres or 100 acres or even, you know, a couple hundred acres. Um, that's a hard life. What the hell made you coming from that world go, gee, I want to be a farmer. I want to make a living at this. You know, you know, Jack, you talk about that, but, uh, you know, you'd be surprised, you know, any farmer is anybody that made a thousand dollars or spent a thousand dollars or whatever you have you, they, they're a farmer. If they've done that, sure. they can set up their, you know, their house as a farm. But, uh, you know, even when you're talking about larger production, you'd be surprised on how many family farms actually run that. It's, I think it's like, 
I, I don't know, you might need to Google it or something, but sure. when I was studying this in school, I think it's like less than 20% that actual are large corporations that do our farming. Uh, it's actually old family farms and multi-generational uh, families that have come together to operate this. Even on our uh, land, you know, my, my parents, I think we have about 500 acres, uh, you know, where where my parents are. But, see, we can't, like you're talking about, I know what you're talking about, though, but we can't afford the machinery to operate sure. you know, 200 something acres of soybeans. So we have to. See, well, just split to be that clear, field. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Even the 500 yeah, acre oh, yeah. farm, the 500 acre farm to me is still a small time farmer. The, the oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about, I've been to places like in Arkansas where they're farming one level of grain or another, and it's flat as a pancake, and you can see to the horizon. And there's oh, yeah. nothing yeah. but yeah. fields, and there's no one there. Like, you know, you no. think of a farmer, and there's a farmhouse, and the farmer's family lives. There's no one there. You, I mean, I drove for, God, I must yeah. have drove one time for <laughs> almost about 80 miles, and I didn't see a house, but it was all farms. Oh, that's, yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. So I still yeah. consider 500 acres the family farm, just so we're clear. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, so, yeah, you do have uh, farmers – uh, that are more like equipment owners that are actually uh, taking it to the market. I guess that's who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, that actually have the yeah, but um, and then you also have the farmers that are operating. Uh, you know, they're working everyday jobs, but mm -hmm. also managing their property. Uh, but they get they get cost share um, in their crops. You know, with those farmers that have the machinery that are are doing the thousands of acres. So everybody does hurt uh, yeah. when. Uh, those prices aren't there, you know, and uh, as you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, we're not as connected to that ground. But, you know, you know, with the survival podcast and, you know, talk about survival, man, when those uh, transportation kicks out, man, uh, you know, and technology start to go away, uh, stuff shuts down quick, you know. <laughs> so, uh, man, it's scary. It's kind of scary to think about, you know, and I guess that's why so many people prep, you know, uh, and learn how to do these things themselves, because, uh, if that transportation kicks out, I mean, it just stops, doesn't it? Absolutely. But back to the core of the question today, we kind of had a segment. Yeah, sure. What the sure, hell sure, makes sure. you want to do this? With all of that said, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a farmer now. Now that I know how hard <laughs> it is, that's what I'm yeah. going to go do. Yeah. Um, man, I, I just wanted to do some, I, I mean, I'm all about being different on top of that, but this just really interests me. I just started, uh, down that rabbit hole and kept at it and, uh, when I, when I was able to first taste, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you're the same way. When you were able to first taste that aquaponic produce, it, it changed things, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I you mean, know, it, it was yeah. also like <laughs> I've been lied to because everybody told me that, you know, it tasted funny or whatever. And it's like, no, it, no. it tastes like it has flavor. Oh, yes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You have not had broccoli until you ate broccoli off of an aquaponic system. <laughs> so, uh, man, it's just unreal, the flavor, the, the fullness is there. And that's, uh, you know, we uh, started some – and uh, Tad came to me when we were talking about that. You, you know, uh, I, I was, like, you know, working another job, and Tad came to me. No, no, I want to do this uh, commercially. I was like, Tad, you, you think you're going to be growing all the time, but the whole time you're actually going to be marketing. You're going to be running around trying to sell your produce. I said it's not a real feasible model. And then I started putting numbers to, together, and I figured out a way – by super simplifying the system, you can make uh, make it really profitable. And that's when we started the lettuce, uh, you know, indoor system, uh, just to kind of show market feasibility, what our price point was, and to check the consumers, see how they responded to it. And, man, when they got a hold of our lettuce, people can't stop. 
I mean, they, they, it was it was game over. You know, uh, even now people are begging uh, for us to bring it back. Uh, when are we going to have it back? Asking us what? Just something simple like lettuce. And that was just an example of one product that we can bring to market as we were trying to, because uh, you know we're limited on our total capital, and you can't. It's very difficult to just go to you know like a FSA office or uh, you know. Um, any kind of bank and get a loan for aquaponic systems. You, know, you can go up and out and get field production stuff, but man, it's very, very hard with newer technologies. Uh, there's not any companies that provide for it. Uh, they don't have the data uh, for what you're trying to get into. So it was an uphill battle and still is an uphill struggle. But then hemp happened, you know, yeah. uh, with the farm bill. And we're saying, hey, here's our money. We don't need investors. Yeah. This is an opportunity for us to really grab a hold of this and become leaders in our area. And Tennessee produced some of the best hemp-growing laws as far as regulations uh, to do this. And they're, I think they're going to be market leaders in the whole hemp game. And we're right here in the middle of it. We could not not go after it. You know what I'm saying? No, awesome. And, you know, it actually surprises me how much a leader Tennessee is because when it comes to actually, you know, we would think of recreational cannabis, I guess, to be able to put it. Like you talk about a place, it's a hardline, hard ass state. I mean, it's 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 it, it, it. See, down here in Texas, we finally got hemp legalized uh, at the state level because even when the Fed said it was okay, Texas was still not. And it's part of that kind of yeah. whole, you know, it's the devil's weed or whatever, you know, that that's in the, some people's mentality. But you guys like were leaders in it before even like you guys were like already doing it in a way before the feds even backed off. And yes. it's, it's awesome to me that's going on. If we could pull back from hemp for just a second, though. On sure, the produce sure. side, on the produce side, it really does seem to me when it comes to aquaponics and hydro, lettuce and other greens are the money crop, and it's not what people normally would think, but it seems like that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I, you know, I don't fully understand why that is. But uh, I think uh, it's just uh, more turns and earns, you know. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah, I think it's just more turns and earns. When you when you have a when you you think that lettuce would actually be more uh, operational expense to get into, more harvest and all that stuff. Well, man, when you go into start training tomatoes and then you actually have to think about fertilizing your blooms to make sure they get good set, you know, and then plus you're going to have to. Uh, it takes a lot more maintenance when you're doing more. Uh, you know, fruiting crops. Uh, so I think lettuce is very general, easy because you know exactly how big it's going to grow, how quick your production is going to come off of, and you can really dial it in a lot faster uh, than you can do other crops. Well, I think the other thing is like the, just kind of the turn and burn. Like before you get that first tomato, you've already rotated two crops of lettuce. Yes. And a third one's growing, and it's a tiny plant when it starts out. So you can just have your starts and then your drops, and then your cuts, and you can just roll through it. And I think that's part of why. But uh, I guess the other thing about aquaponics we should say, because I haven't really gone deep into this recently except for my interview with your partner there, um, the other thing people think is they're going to go to aquaponics and make money on the fish. And the fish are a byproduct, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's what I start to explain to people when we first uh, talk to them about aquaponics and they ask about these things. And I mean, some of these guys are already started their figures before they ever talk to us. And they say, 
you know, uh, well, how many fish can I produce and this and that? And exactly what you're saying. It's a byproduct of the system. It's kind of like the engine of it. You know, we're, we're trying to operate, you know, in, I guess as an example, a car. We're, our ultimate goal is to get down the road and get down the road is, you know, making vegetables. You know, uh, the fish are just an engine to our system, you know, and we have to feed them the, the feed or the gasoline, you know, in that example, uh, to get us down the road. Getting down the road is the vegetable production. Absolutely, man. So um, how's the partner thing working out? I've, I've never been a fan of partnerships. Uh, I'm a very big remote worker type guy, though. I, I think it probably works a little better when you guys look at each other every day and you're, you're doing more of a hands-on material world business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that was always a concern of both of ours and, you know, uh, directly with Tad and, uh, his, his father, you know, was warning him a lot because he had had partnerships previous. It is, it's difficult and a lot of people will warn you about that. But with Tad and I, I, I don't know. We're kind of kindred spirits. Uh, we have different abilities. We both bring different, uh, value to the company and expertise. And because of that, and we're both broke. So, you know, that, uh, it all helps. <laughs> cool man so um you, you you have in your notes here that your favorite president ever from our country was thomas jefferson i think i take yes. anybody from that time period over the people we've had for the last couple days <laughs> but what makes you such a fan of jefferson okay so all right one thing cool all right um just just a little tidbit here in tennessee at the governor's uh mansion over here uh just in the hallway there They actually have the desk that he signed the Louisiana Purchase on, you know. So I thought that was pretty cool getting to see that here in Tennessee. We actually have the desk that he signed the Louisiana Purchase on, which is, you know, becomes the breadbasket of the entire nation. You know, we're able to move so much. You know, it becomes a huge deal, and it was one of the hardest things he actually wanted to do because he was such focused on limited government. He he really didn't want to buy and purchase that land as a government deal. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, he uh, was kind of a bannerman for agrarianism, which uh, really put – he saw spirituality and uh, the wealth of spirituality for the nation um, for – you know, people need to be connected to the land, to plants, uh, so that they understood uh, where food came from, where uh, health and wellness, all these things were interconnected. And that was kind of some of the vision then. Whereas you had a lot of people that were really pushing for industrialization. And we know which one won out, of course, industrialization. But I mean, what do you think? You know, when I see the spirituality and the values of the people from people that are stuck in cities that don't understand, you know, when you ask them, it says, you know what, what plant does a pickle come from? They say, well, pickle <laughs> plant, of course. You know, <laughs> you know, they just don't understand. It doesn't click for them. And then they wonder why things don't work when they think just throwing money at them is a solution. You know, uh, well, you have to think of the entire mechanics of the operation. I'm not, you know, I'm speaking in generalities, of course. You know, that's not everybody. Sure. You know, I'm, you know, but I say, you know, generalities, I'm talking about the common man and the common people. What are the products of city education, uh, versus, you know, people that live out in the country? You know, are they more grounded? Are they more spiritual? Do they have a better understanding or, you know, that, those type of things. And I see it being more connected to, The country, but that's easy for me to say. That's how I grew up, right? Absolutely. And I, I think there's, you know, that is usually though when you are in the city and you meet someone and they, they understand plants and where their food comes from and all, either they have roots in the country 
or there, you know, there's so many people now that are, are switching on to this and learning and educating themselves. Yes. But there's still a it. huge group of people. Like, just when you buy produce at the market and you buy loose produce, and you can tell the checker that's only been there for two weeks, you know, it's some young kid, you know, they're like 20, and you're like, well, what is this? It's cilantro. And then they're like, okay, so this is more cilantro. No, that, that, that's parsley. Well, what's this? Those are jalapeno peppers. You know, you're like, it's not like it's rutabaga or something, right? Like, like these, right, are, right. these are standard things that people eat every day. How are you 20 and you don't know what the hell this is? Uh, I think my favorite thing about Jefferson was how much of a gardener he was. I mean, yes. um, oh, man, I, I'm wanting so bad to go over to his homestead. I haven't got to go out there yet, and I really want to. That's on my list, too, to eventually get to Monticello and, and, and see everything there. I've read a lot about it. I've got his, I've got his farm book and his garden book. Uh, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's probably one of my favorites of all time as well. Um, you seem to care a lot about your community. You've, you've been clear about yes. that as we've been talking so far. What makes you so community-oriented? I, man, I, I like people and I understand where people are. And, you know, I'll even uh, – you know, I'll work in, I don't do it for the money, of course, but man, I'll, I'll work, uh, you know, in school systems when I have the time to do it uh, so I can see and connect with the people and especially young minds that are trying to learn. When people want to grow themselves and uh, be able to achieve things, I want to create opportunities. If there aren't people that are creating opportunities, um, that it weakens our economy, it weakens our, emotiv our motivation here locally, and if it's not do done on the local level, I mean, forget our entire government. Forget everything else. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, we have to do it where it matters most at the very basis of who's who's around us. What are we doing for others around us to give them more opportunities for them to grow themselves? No, it makes perfect sense. Like, And especially running a business like yours, right? A lot of people run a business, and their customers are way over here. And they're way over here, right? So they don't have to have a lot of community involvement to build their business. Not that it might not be beneficial anyway, but they don't have to. Like if you if you run a business and you build some sort of widget that gets sold on Amazon or gets shipped to an auto assembly plant or something like that three states over, like you can right. never even pay attention to what's around you and it doesn't really affect your business. But if you're growing food that people eat – And your whole point is this food was grown here where you live. Now, buy it and eat it. If you're not helping to build up your community, you're not helping to build up your, your business either. Like, the two That's are right. interdependent upon each other. And, you know, I think more companies need to, to realize that and realize that them investing locally is beneficial long term to their business and their community both. Absolutely. Yeah, I like, yeah, we're trying to integrate. Uh, our end consumer with the people that are actually working with us, they're the same. They're one and the same. You know, our investors that are invested in what we're doing in our company are the people buying our product. You know, that's if they're one and the same. We don't have to differentiate the two. Yeah, absolutely, man. So you've been starting up a business now. Like, so what has been your biggest struggles with actually starting a business and, you know, make, like it's what you could start a business tomorrow. If you're still yeah. in business in three months, six months, nine months, then you're starting to actually deal with running a business. What have been your biggest struggles <laughs> in this kind of startup phase? Uh, man, so, you know, of course we're in a newer 
technology. And I told you a little bit about the struggles of that earlier. But, um, yeah, so getting funding is very, very difficult uh, to achieving what you need to do. And, I mean, we're not doing anything. You know, it blows my mind. You can go down the street and you'll see a logging company set up. You know, they'll have a million dollars worth of equipment. And they can just go out and get a bank loan for that. All I need, you know, I need $100,000 to get started to make the same kind of profits, you know, over a general period of time. But forget being able to have access to that money. You know, just the data is not there. So that's one, you know, being able to get funded uh, by the right people, even though the interest is there, um, you know, it's it's a difficult thing. But, man, I'll tell you, the – uh, when you, you got, so the state wants you to sign on with them. You know, you have to sign on with the, uh, uh, the county that you're in. Everybody wants their piece of the pie. Whether you're making any, any money or not, they're going to want their money before <laughs> you're even making money. You know, I wish there was a little more leeway in letting a business get their, you know, get their feet on the ground, get to moving where they're generating income before you start yanking it from them. You know, uh, give them a little more rope. You know, <laughs> to to start actually pulling other people up. You know, uh, so that you well, know, that's you're kind also of tap dan- you're, you're tap dancing on something there. We learned when we went, you know, and did some work with farming that you almost to make that work out need to borrow money because it sounds crazy. But if I borrow yes. money, it's very easy to actually make enough cash flow. Well, not easy to do so. I mean. Accounting-wise is what I'm talking when I say mm-hmm. easier. It's very right. easy to push enough cash flow out of that business to, to sustain myself as an individual or myself and a partner for that first year if, if as long as the revenue. So I'm back to an accounting equation when I say easy. Right. And pay little to no taxes when I'm taking on debt to do it. If I fund it out of pocket, all right. of a sudden I'm more profitable on paper than I am in reality. Yes. And, and, and and so the farming and many businesses are that way, but the farming business especially is designed to run like all the special they call them tax loopholes. I call them the tax the tax rules because they're not loopholes; they're the rules that were written for the game. That's correct. All those rules were written to advantage the person funding the business on debt because it's how most do it. Now, if you're in a model where you can't do that, all of a sudden you're getting dinged in the butt constantly. I call it by upgrade. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Idiocracy, but there's a pimp in that movie named Upgrade with two Ds for a double dose of pimping. And <laughs> and the, the, the girl keeps saying Upgrade going to get his money. And that's how I look at the government. Upgrade is going to get his money. And it seems like <laughs> they are so out to take. And it's I agree with you. Like It would be interesting if they had some sort of a startup business like If you start a business, like you can make as much money as you want in your first 12 months and not pay any tax on it. And I'm sure that the mega corporations would start making lots of little junior companies to, to capitalize on that. But, you know, there's well, a value. Hey, that would be Let awesome. Let them do it. it. Then there's a value. I was yeah. saying, if they build value into the brand, they're not going to shut the company down, right? So, yeah, that would be an interesting thing, like some sort of startup tax immunity phase for new businesses. What could that do to our economy in a positive way? On a, on a local level, on yeah. a local level, think yeah. of all these little small businesses that would pop up and be able to try, at least try, throw themselves out there because, man, the risk that you take. You know, some of these guys, I mean, I was just looking, uh, talking to another guy that owns a local brewery. I mean, him and his partner, man, they threw everything up, the land they had, the houses. They put everything on the line to get their equipment and start this brewing company where, I mean, Big guys don't want new little guys in. 
Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, man, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. Well, let me give a concrete example for people out there that might be struggling with what the hell we mean here with agriculture. So let's say I go in and I get a raw piece of land and I'm going to do conventional growing. And I need fencing because I am going to be putting pigs in there and pasture rotators. So I need at least a perimeter fence, some kind of mobile fence. And I need roads or some other form of it. Maybe I want to put some ponds or dams in. And this can cost easily, you know, $100,000 to do all that or more. But let's say it's hundred grand. So let's say I have the money in cash, and so I go in and I fund that. Oh, you I don't get, do that. I don't because <laughs> I get to deduct nothing. That's all considered yeah. land improvements. And yep. even though I had $100,000 out-of-pocket expense, I get to deduct zero of that. And then I get to depreciate it over a very long period of time, a small amount at a time, right, as is the right. only deduction I get out of it. If I plant trees, I don't get to deduct a penny. If I put an apple tree in, I start an apple orchard. I'm going to put 100,000 apple trees in, in a spindle apple orchard, right? I don't get to deduct a penny on any of those trees or any of the cost of planting those trees until I sell the first apple maybe three or five years later. If I take a loan... Every payment's 100% deductible. And yep. So it sounds completely stupid that you'd want to fund a farming operation with debt, but if you understand the rules, it's the only way to fund it. Yeah, and not only that, uh, so you go by your USDA office, because they have the data, uh, they, they'll say, oh, we have cost-share programs available for your fencing that you're doing. Uh -huh. The only thing is you do have to fence around your trees because we want to protect those trees because we might want to use those as a resource one day. But we'll give you 50% funding for that and secure you a loan for near to nothing or nothing at all you know, for you to be able to do this. And then you have the whole thing funded, and it's tax-deductible, 100% all of it, and you're paying yourself for putting up fencing on your own property. And if you pay off the loan faster because you don't want to hold the debt long term, you still deduct it. That's that's yeah. the crazy thing that people don't understand. And I can have the property funded in three years and paid off using other people's money, deduct the entire expense, not even pay that much in interest. But if I pay for it out of pocket, I'm literally screwed. Mm -hmm. and, and that is like one of the most insane components to our tax system. But if you know how to play the game, then you know how to play the game. But like you said, when you're breaking new ground, because if you oh, talk, yeah. you know, you talked about the timber guys, right? Well, one thing the bank knows is they know exactly what the timber they're gonna they're gonna cut is worth, and they know even if that business fails, they know what that equipment's worth, and they know that equipment has a resale value and it can be sold quickly. Where you want to buy, you know, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff to put in like this giant aquaponics thing, they don't understand yeah. it, they don't get it. Nope. And they don't know, well, okay, what am I going to do with this equipment? There's no, like, Kelly Blue Book where they can look up and say, you know, this light costs $900, but a year from now, if we repossess it, we're going to get, five, like, 500 for it. They, don't, they can't do the math or they don't want to, so it makes it hard. So I imagine that's been a real struggle. So have you been able to secure any funding at all, or have you just been able to kind of pay go? No, not as on the traditional level. So, you know, I got to talking to the USDA uh, office and the FSA. T I mean, fantastic people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, they know their business and what they're doing. But because it's so new, all right, for me to secure a loan, I would need to uh, go in to a bank or something to give them all this data. But I know a guy that was uh, trying to set up an aquaponic system uh, just uh, down the road from me, and it took him over two years to get his loan together. 
Uh, you had the bankers uh, coming with him. He'd show them all these systems operational. He'd show them the data, how much the produce is coming. He had it all there together. Where someone doing a regular uh, top of loan, they would go in and actually, uh, I mean, if, if they had their data together, it wouldn't take them but maybe a matter of a month or two months, you know, uh, to get the same type of loan. Uh, so it is difficult when, uh, you know, you have a newer technology to get that. But something else that's kind of going against us right now is, you know, uh, these banks have memos out right now for hemp, directly on hemp. You know, I know that's different from, you know, the aquaponics side of things. Sure. But this hemp, man, I mean, it's, I mean, banking is pretty much shut out for the hemp industry. And also insurance is difficult. Uh, product liability, they, they're, you know, the quote is, oh, well, the market data isn't there. I'm sure that's true for many companies, but not all these companies. No. They're, they're, there's something else happening there, man. And I'll tell you, I was just watching the news earlier today, and I see these football stars. Uh, a lot of people really talking about the medical benefits they're getting off of it. And I think I think there's some war gaming going on, and it's it's prepping for how this industry is going to change things. Yeah, I think that this is a, this is a short-term thing, and it's probably the hardest point to be in this business that there'll be, but it's probably the most important time to be getting into it because – that's yes, how you become kind of like a first mover advantage type of thing. And it, it may get easier to do, but it's going to be harder to do in other ways, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, so what do you want most for your business to become? What, you know, like growing a business is a lot like giving birth to a child. Um, you know, in some ways, maybe I, I'm not a woman, so I can't totally speak to it, but on some levels it might be more painful. Uh, maybe it's not more painful in any given moment, but I think like the labor's a lot longer. Like it's like a, being in labor for two years. Um, so and then you have this little baby, right? This little business that you've created, and you want it to grow up into something, right? You want it like just like you want your child to grow up. What do you want your business to grow up into? What do you want it to be when it grows up? Sure. I mean, what I'm seeing, you know, ultimately what we set out to do, and you know, things can change, but what we wanted. Uh, number one, I mean, community, of course, is important to us uh, so that we're we're providing something that's of value to our community. And when I say a community, that extends to d several different areas. Uh, number one, of course, is our family. We wanted to be able to see after our family, uh, give some options to even our children or in some instances uh, with some of my partners, it's their grandchildren as well. Um, so that way we have other options uh, for a better job opportunity in our area. For That's one thing, uh, something that could be profitable. But also for our community in general to bring a better, um, a better product uh, for a better life. You know, it's a, kind of part of our, our slogan there, you know, uh, better produce for better life. And uh, so that's, that's another goal that we had for our company. But, you know, I really want it to be something that, our community can be proud of uh, that gains the attention and eyes of uh, not just our community, but of the nation in general, you know, uh, Tad works really hard on, on, and thinking about our uh, marketing and our media stuff, you know, and I'm really thinking on the sales and marketing side of things and where uh, Mike and Angie are other partners in our business too. They are, uh, they're really focused on, uh, you know, the family and the quality of life. And so all together, you know, that's what we want for our business is all those things uh, to kind of come together uh, to bring value. Uh, and I think if you're bringing good value, uh, you know, the profits will come, too, as long as, you know, you're paying attention to what the market's telling you. 
Absolutely, man. Let's dig a little bit into the, the, the hemp side of the market. Like, what do you see the landscape being right now? What exactly is your level of participation in that particular sector? Okay. Uh, well, you know, man, I dove, we, we all dove two feet in. I mean, I'm all the way in. Uh, I mean, I, I do some side business where I do some commercial lighting. Um, I was doing that for a little while, but outside of that, man, I, this is, this is my bread and butter where I'm trying to, trying to make an income for me and my family. Uh, so I, I'm going to all the meetings, uh, the Hemp Industry Association. I'm a very active, uh, member now, uh, for, and Tennessee has the largest chapter, believe it or not, of the entire nation of, uh, Hemp Industry Association. Uh, we, we even have, we had to do separate chapters. Now we have a West Tennessee chapter that meets at, uh, Jackson State, a community college over here. Uh, I got asked, we, we're trying to set up a Tennessee hemp co-op, uh, uh, to, so that way we have more buying power, marketing. I mean, if you want to see a, a great, you know, for farm agricultural marketing, uh, just look like Black Angus beef, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, so it, what if we could do Tennessee hemp in the same way? And so, uh, we're trying to get a, co-op together and so i was one of the uh, 15 for tennessee that was asked to sit on that board to try to help uh it's a steering committee to get this going uh for our uh for all of the hemp program so yeah man we're we're deep into it and we're trying to bring a high high-end product uh that the rest of the nation is, is comparable to right now oregon's well known for their hemp that's coming off of it um tennessee the rest of you know you talk about internationally Tennessee is gaining a lot of attention. Like, what's going on there? I guess, you know, same thing. I guess you, you uh, attach moonshine to the hill country, you know, to, you know, hillbillies making moonshine up in the mountains or something like that. You know, Tennessee, you know, for agriculture and farming, you know, I mean, I mean, look at our emblem, you know, our state emblem. And uh, I, I think hemp is going to be one of those things that can actually be world-renowned here in Tennessee, you know, right where we're at. So that's why I'm very, very interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are what are your thoughts on the market as a whole and where it's going, and, and maybe what you know folks like you that are involved have to do to prevent it go, from going, you know, boom, glut, bust, right? So, oh like, yeah, like I think that's really important because the more and more people that get in, yeah. the more product there is. Eventually, I do believe the the overall price has to come down some, but you don't want it to get too too cheap. And I don't think it oh, can because yeah, it's really a labor-intensive thing. But supply and demand is a real thing. It can't be ignored. Uh, some of it's done in agriculture right now with a lot of subsidization and stuff like that. I don't think you're going to see cannabis subsidies. Um, I don't think there's a stomach for that. So, But on the other side, I think there's so much growth available. Yes. It doesn't have to yes. be that. But what are the ways that like I think things need to be done so that that growth is commensurate with the growth of supply? Sure. All right. Since you're asking my opinion, I'll give you my very limited scope. And, you know, I, you know, of course, every farmer does a lot of thinking about this, especially in an emerging market, watching a lot of these things happen. I look to the example of Oregon. So they opened up a low regulation uh, for medical marijuana. Uh, they opened it up. Uh, you had about two to five years of really good, heavy profits. Uh, then you had only the industry leaders that made really good profits make it through that bus cycle or – the ones that were producing a very high-end product where they could be price setters. And uh, that's one of our focuses to become a price setter in the market. So we're producing a higher product, and, uh, you know, our price is what it is, you know. And so we, we don't overextend ourselves 
and make sure, you know, when people are coming to this, they, they have a product they can trust. That being said, overall in the market, um, you know, uh, when we're talking about hemp, you know, I know we're thinking of, you know, CBD oil and, you know, those are the high profitable things, the CBD oil, maybe the smokable hemp uh, that you're kind of thinking of. And some of these markets are just now getting geared up and going maybe two to four years of, you know, excellent product and growth and, you know, investment money really flowing to get that, you know, uh, where the banks are saying, no, shut it down. Uh, but man, you're going to have a, you're going to have that bus cycle that's going to hit and people are going to overextend and they're not going to, you know, be prepared for that. But man, I'm telling you, hemp is just on the very edge of what it can be for this nation. Uh, when you're talking about the seed and the fiber production, the building materials, everything that can come from that, I think a lot of farmers are going to switch uh, from, you know, because they have combines, old equipment, things like that that can be converted or new equipment that needs to be updated. Um, you know, they're going to be looking at fiber production and CO2 emissions and, and things like that. So other companies that are being regulated on how much CO2 they're producing or how much energy waste is happening, uh, there's going to be a lot of offset for hip farming for how much uh, it's actually pumping out. Because this plant grows fast. It grows dense. It takes – I mean, it is it is amazing what you can produce – on the limited amount of land that you can do just for fiber um, and just general production. Uh, so, I mean, that's going to be a big change for us when we get there. Right now, the money's in the oil, uh, the sure. genetics, you know, uh, the smokables or whatever. But, man, in the future, I mean, uh, that's exactly what the farm bill and what a lot of people are really seeing is that fiber production can really be a game changer for our nation as a whole. And I, I don't think people understand what can be done with hemp. Like, they think, well, hemp made rope. Well, yeah, but, um, you know, hemp plastic is a whole additional world. But what I just oh, saw that was gorgeous was, uh, you know, I'm going to call it wood flooring because that's what it looks like. But it was hemp-based wood flooring. Oh, and, yes. And so what we do is if you look right now, like, how much stuff in America uh, that's going into building and what have you Uh, or is in kitchens in the form of cutting boards and all is bamboo. And, of course, bamboo, it all comes from China. It all comes from China. And it's considered sustainable, even though we have no idea what the practices are that are extracting this bamboo from China. But we can replace every single thing that you can find made with bamboo with something made with hemp fiber. And that alone is a market that's it's so beyond where anybody thinks when they hear hemp and CBD. Oh, man, even housing, basic building of housing, I really think, I mean, if this takes off uh, what I'm seeing that it could be, I mean, you're going to see common building material. You're going to go down to Lowe's, and, and you're not going to know the difference other than, that. hey, man, this is a lot stronger particle border. What, what, why is this It's just a better material, cheaper to make, and it's going to be from him. And faster to grow. And faster to grow. Um, and easier on the land because, you know, the, the truth is, you know, we talked about the plight of farmers, but one of the reasons that U.S. farmers have it so hard with, you know, produce production and grain production, soybean production, we overproduce. It is only yes. subsidies and the export market along with the subsidies that allow as many farms, as large as they are, to produce five staple crops at the volume that they're produced in our country. Um, we yes. un I think we underproduce food as a whole, but I think, you know, five crops, we overproduce the shit out of corn and soy and wheat, etc. And by having some of that land switch, 
you can do two things. One, you come up with this whole new sector that doesn't compete with the other agricultural products. And two, that should make the underlying value of soy or wheat or corn higher because there's less land producing it, but it's still plenty for our country. I mean, if anything, our people are fat and they eat too much grain. I mean, that's that's no, the reality. I, I didn't even think about that. The actual uh, reciprocal or what, you know, the, the anticipus, you know, the, the opposite was what's going to happen when you start balancing that out. That's amazing to think about, you know, corn and grain actually be being valued higher because more people are going to be growing this as a building material. Instead of sourcing cheap materials out of other countries, we can do it cheaply here, even though our labor is higher. That's, we, don't that's need, we don't need to cut any more forests down to do it. Right. There's enough. Yeah. That's my point is there there is so much corn and soy and wheat and, and everything else being produced right now that some of that land can go into hemp production. And if this is done right, some of that can go into animal production and, and go into pasture. Like people think, well, you can't have pastures there. Well, if you understand rotational grazing, you can. And so yeah. there's so much potential to, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be a permaculture utopia, but if done right, compared to where we are now environmentally, it's, you know, a hundred times better. And yes. it's all doable And I remember back when this argument started, and I'm talking 15, 20 years ago, about legalizing industrial hemp. And I remember the, the conservative radio hosts, when somebody would call in and try to explain to them, we can make paper, we can make wood, we can make plastic, we, you know, all the things you can do with hemp. They didn't even want to hear it because they were convinced it was nothing but an excuse for people to get high. And it's like, well, yeah. first of all, why do you give a shit, all right? Why don't we just get, get that out of the way and just, if we stopped worrying about that, maybe that wouldn't be a problem anymore. But how do you turn away from this reality? And I think now that maybe one of the good things about the tough life of farming and the, the weakness being exposed by the tariff war and all that is we need to do something different. And this is the something different that people can do. It could be, you know, because of the value that it's bringing to us. I mean, it, it very, very well could be. And now we talked about how much labor went into it. Now, that's a different style of growing. When you're sure. doing this fiber stuff, man, I mean, you basically could go go throw out handfuls of seed, man, and let that stuff come up as long as you got the right genetics, you know? Yeah. So, Well, know, but genetics, grows... you're, you're doing different. Like, that's the thing people never oh, yeah. understand about genetics in plants as a whole. Genetics for what? The genetics exactly. you want for that plant is to be – Insect resistant, pest resistant, grow fast, grow tall, grow big. If it, if it, you know, if the bud it produces tastes like ass and doesn't do any good for anybody, it doesn't matter because that's not what that genetic set yeah, is supposed to do. Yeah, and you're not going to grow, gonna grow big that and tall and straight up. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to grow that in your aquaponics, right? That's yeah. not an aquaponics plant. That's a that is a field plant. And so the first thing you do with any genetic pro project is you you breed the thing to survive. Well, guess what? Yes. With hemp and cannabis, that's done. That's that's yeah. we don't have to we don't have to do that. It survives. So now it's a matter of well, what can we do? How big can we make it? How fast can we make it grow? How short you know can you genetically shorten the season right and then get yeah. one more crop a season? Yes. Yep. So uh, yeah, there's all kinds of genetics in these. I mean, it's as different 
in this as it is tomatoes. You know, you can have these little cherry tomatoes to these big beefsteak tomatoes, low acid, high acid. All these genetic traits are completely different within this plant. You know, the different terpene profiles to how much resin or oil it produces, how big the seed it produces on it, how tall the plant gets, how bushy the plant gets. These are all easily selectable traits uh, through tremendous phenotypes just from F1 crossing, you know, crossing one variety to another variety. Uh, the phenotypes are tremendous that you get out of it that you can then select from those. Uh, it's a very easy plant to breed, and the, the cycles are fast and how quickly you can get generations. And it, it's, it, it, you know, and it doesn't take anything as far as weed control. The pests are low, man. It's right now in Tennessee, the pests have not been a big issue uh, for our crops. So I, I'm really impressed with that as well. So, I mean, part of the way I've always looked at this is, and, and let's just be clear, like cannabis hemp are really the same thing. It's just one has yes. THC and one doesn't. It's the same plant. There's this plant yes. that in all its forms has medicinal, structural, building, fiber, like this gift to humanity. Like this yes. nature just said, look, here's one plant does all this shit. And, and, and here, take it. And what we did is we turned it into something evil with laws. And it seems like oh, they did a really finally, good job of that. Oh, yeah. Like, it seems like we're finally coming to our senses with this plant and realizing, man, like this is this is this thing. And like you mentioned Jefferson, Jefferson of Washington grew the shit out of hemp. I mean, that was like, and I, and <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, well, we grew it such a rope. I'm like, thing. I bet they did that, too. Like, I guarantee yeah. you, our founding fathers used cannabis. And that's probably why they had you know, a decent head on their shoulders in some ways. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it seems like finally, like, people are waking up to the reality of this. And I think, you know, some of the states that were pioneers in the, the rec side have been instrumental in, like, well, we might as well legalize this stuff that doesn't get you high, too, because, like, Colorado did this. And is there any pro – like, when people say there's zero problems, you know, when you're the only place that lets somebody do something for a thousand miles, it's going to create some sort of attractive nuisance. So, like I say, there's zero problems. But their state didn't explode. Um, you know, people didn't start dying left and right. People aren't running around with Uzi shooting up the streets. Like, you know, the violent crime rate is actually down. So other states start looking at that and going, well, gee, you guys said all this <laughs> bad stuff would happen. And look over there. It's not. No, don't look at that. But, no, I, I have to. It's. Yeah. I can see it. You know, and I think so. I think the whole thing is. I think it's all coming unwound. I think on some levels it'll never be perfect. Upgrade's always going to get his money. You know, in some yep. states where they've legalized it, on some levels, if you don't have the state-approved version, you could be in more in trouble than you would have been five years ago with a small amount of the completely illegal version. But yep. it does seem to like the overall area is just improving every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been, I thought, You know, when I first got into this, you know, I, I mean, I'm big on being Christ-centered in my life and, you know, my community. Are, you know, we're in regular church attendance, of course, you know, to be with our uh, – I mean, we consider that our family. And when I when I first saw this come in, and that's kind of what you're talking about is this mind-changing, you know, uh, realizing what the real truth is. You know, what, what actually happens when things are used properly. And I thought it was going to be a two-year learning experience for my community. Yeah. And, man, I tell you, with, with this, you know, with Google and instant access and phone access to Internet, the, the technology information era where we're just inundated with information all the time, people accept things fast. So when, when they realize that this fact has changed, 
when I, well, you know, facts don't change really, but when this, uh, this false information <laughs> yeah. becomes, they, they realize what the truth is. <laughs> uh, I like they, that. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when they realize what the truth is, they accept it quickly when they say, oh, man, wow, this is an excellent anti-inflammatory. I don't hurt as much. I can get off these prescription drugs. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, well, yeah. no, I'm not getting high. Of course, you know, I'm I'm not selling them something to get them high, you know, yeah. but it makes them feel good, relaxed, you know, those type of things. And they're like, wow, this is this, you know, oh, the hippies were somewhat right, you know. They just didn't go all the way. They went the wrong way with it, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, uh, or, the other thing is, like, you, but you still have people pushing back, basically saying, like, oh, yeah. oh, no, shut up and eat your oxycodone, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. what? well, that's legal. Well, this is legal now. And that's that's another thing is the legalization is a huge switch for people because, like you said, the fact doesn't the facts don't change. This thing was either good or bad. Right. And most right. things aren't good or bad. How they're used is good or bad. Right. Like so. Yes. Um, but this thing either could be used for good or not. Making it illegal didn't change that. But it does right. change it for people in their head. It's a psychological barrier. It must be bad or it wouldn't be illegal. And then when you say, well, you know, alcohol was illegal for 10 years. They just they don't want to have that conversation. Well, but it's legal now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I see where you are, and I'm not able to pull you out of that place yet. So, But, yeah, as soon as they flip the switch and it becomes legal, and it amazes me how many people don't know it's legal. Like my wife um, was at her doctor's and mentioned that she, t she, she drinks CBD coffee. And her doctor mm -hmm. said, well, I can't condone that. And she, Dorothy said, well, why? She said, well, you don't know what you're getting. It's like, well, yeah, we do. The company we deal with has you know certificates of laboratory analysis and what have mm -hmm. you. Well, well, it's illegal. Well, no, no, it's not. It was legalized, you know, several months ago in the state of Texas. Well, uh, oh, okay, yeah, right. So, like, it's like, <laughs> like, it was just this concept, like, okay, you're a doctor, like, this is actually, in some ways, cutting-edge medicine. That would help a lot of your patients. You probably have on opiates. But, yes. But you've switched it off because it's bad, because it's illegal, or, or what have you, and Again, I, I do think it's beginning to change, and I think that's a good thing. You, you, now, you guys do aquaponics. I've heard of a lot of people growing you know, different forms of cannabis, hemp, with hydro, not a lot with aquaponics. Can you maybe just explain yes. a little bit about like what type of system? Is it a deep water? Is it an ebb and flow? Sure. I mean, like, what are you doing to grow hemp with aquaponics? Sure, sure. All right, so there's been a lot of misinformation, go figure, on <laughs> even aquaponics itself for a long time, for years. And there's certain people that, uh, there's certain people that claim to be the experts in the field, uh, that, um, they know how to do certain systems really well, like mm -hmm. media beds and things like that. And they'll make claims in their books and everything that say, oh, well, deep water culture doesn't work as well, or you know, it doesn't function for, I, well, I mean, when we have systems that I've ran for 10 years or more and guys I know that have them and they work really, really well, that's misinformation. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, so we, you do have to be careful and cut through that. There's a lot of misinformation on cannabis from years of people growing, like you said, in closets and things. So they got, they started aquaponics. They didn't have a mature system. They didn't have the, the, uh, the nutrients there. They didn't fully understand aquaponics. So they tried it. On, on cannabis for like a closet grower and they got airy bud or it stretched too much or, you know, 
And it had nothing to do with the aquaponics system itself. It had everything to do with the grower and the grow technique. They didn't have their grow style down, you know. Just for people that maybe, aren't, maybe for, that aren't as switched on, and the other side of that is if you're doing hydro, since you're putting all of your inputs in, you control exactly what that plant gets. Where with aquaponics, you've got to kind of figure out what does this plant need, how many fish do I need, what can I add without hurting my fish. So please go on. Yes. I just want to be clear about that for people. I, absolutely. Yeah. And again, man, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I forget sometimes, you know, that uh, on this thing. I, and it, to me, it, it seems real easy. I can see things. I add stuff in. But I've been doing it for a long time. I like to use Seagrow uh, by Grow More. Uh, it's kind of my secret sauce that I add into my system a little bit to kind of bump up my nutrients for like tomatoes. Uh, the hemp, man, has been tremendous feeder. I mean, you have to put stuff in it. I mean, man, I, from when it goes when it goes out of this little seedling stage, when it goes into what a lot of the growers are calling teenager, mm-hmm. in that full-on vegetative stage, dude, it sucks all the calcium out of your system. All, all the nitrogen, all the calcium, everything gets pulled completely out. And, and in an aquaponics system, your calcium, your calcium bicarbonate or what other forms you have, that's actually your pH buffer. And so if it pulls that out, all of a sudden your pH drops oh. down the, the. Yeah, it makes so sense. Like, yeah, so you really have to be paying attention what, what plants you're growing in there. And so I can imagine some of these first people trying, you know, this plant in aquaponics, not being, not having as many years experience and saying, oh, well, it just doesn't work very good. You know, <laughs> and I'm just sitting I'm, here I'm thinking with my water, damn, I could grow me the shit out of some hemp. I mean, oh yes, my oh, water's man, so could. hard I can hurt you with it. I mean, <laughs> oh man, that's, I like that's five, awesome. Five hundred parts per million uh, uh, calcium out of the well. Oh man, that's fantastic for aquaponics. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. Fantastic. Our aquaponic systems here are crazy awesome. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I please mean, go yeah, ahead. I just yeah, just like wow, oh no, I wonder what I could do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, basically all you would need to do is uh, just have your fish load pretty decently. Uh, your calcium is there for your yeah. pH buffer zone for a long shot for a little bit of water you're doing. You might need a little bit of uh, oyster shell flour to kind of maintain and then uh, your EDDHA iron uh, to make sure that your nitrogen and maybe a little bit of uh, magnesium sulfate, which, you know, just is, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, Epsom salt, Sure. you know, to make sure that, you know, all your nitrogen, everything is – uh, growing properly and it's able to use the nitrogen and the iron. They all kind of work in together uh, to stabilize the plant. But man, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, anyway, a. What is your primary growing method that you're using for hemp? Okay, so we have deep water culture. Okay. All right, basically, man, you can get as simple as having a swimming pool and, a, and an extra tank for your fish, and you're cycling it through those two. We got rafts sitting on the top of it. And they're growing in there, and I have big, beautiful, dense, super frosty bud or flowers, whatever you want to call it. But it's all hemp in there, and it smells phenomenal, <laughs> looks amazing. I got pe- guys, growers in Oregon contacting me saying, how do I get your product? And they're growers in Oregon. How hmm. do I get your stuff? <laughs> so, you know, there, it's, there's something to be said about it. And it's really there, and it's applicable, and it's easy to do. You get a 30% bump over hydroponics. Uh, when you're doing it correctly, and your your terpene profiles are amazing too. That's awesome. So I, I I didn't really think about how you would do that, and you know everybody loves ebb and flow until they do it. And I I mean ebb and flow does some things really good. I use it like crazy. More for, points of failure. 
for yeah, but it has exactly. And every once in a while, you need I don't care what you do for solids, you got to pull that thing apart, or you got to mm -hmm. not grow for a cycle and just throw a thousand earthworms in there or something um, to yep. clean it out. Where deep water, it's water. If it gets too much, do a water change. You're done. You know. Oh. But I guess you have to have that overhead infrastructure for support. Um, which obviously you probably have to do with hemp anyway. So I guess you also have to, like, um, one of the other things you have to think of is like access for doing your pruning and harvest and all. Because well, like lettuce, guess, you just pull the raft in and then sh shove it back out. Yeah. So one of the things that like what you're talking about there, kind of getting more in detail on it. Uh, so we do an eight foot uh, wide bed. Now you can run as long or the length you want to. So now you have full access to these two by four trays all the way around. So you can access in your plants. We're not doing any trellis support or anything like that in our grow system. It's not about, uh, how big your plants are. It's about, um, how much space they take. So we may have six, you know, maybe 600 plants in, in a system. Whereas in a field that might have been like, you know, six, seven plants, but We grow them more cycles, smaller plants, more cycles, and they support each other. It's called a sea of green technique. And so as their buds are developing and stuff, they start leaning on each other, and they create their own support. And so now we have a nice canopy that we're all growing in. We don't have to have any additional uh, support structure. And we can access all the plants, too, right there within the eight-foot eight, eight strip. That's awesome, man. So let's mm -hmm. let's kind of wrap up with this is the you know survival podcast. We talk about modern survivalism here. And all things we talk about, traditional survivalism from, from bushcrafting to how to build a business and everything that is lifestyle design. Do you consider yourself a survivalist? I do. I do. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you. So, I, you know, I don't really say that I have a go bag ready, you know, and I haven't spent a bunch of money on prepping. But I do have, uh, you know, I have some MREs in my basement in case, you know, there's a week-long outage or something. But I do know the guys, and I'm always keeping a watch on who can support and who has what in my community. Like I said, I'm community-focused, and I know the guys that I will be able to count on if or when something does happen. And that's, that's my, that is how I prep, is uh, utilizing the community that's around me. Man, when you got guys like uh, John Willis in your community <laughs> – You know, <laughs> you know, you, you have access to some people and it's good to have, you know, those friends for security or, you know, but also the farmers uh, for availability to, uh, to be able to produce food and foodstuffs. And I mean, man, we got, you know, so when you say you're a prepper, man, there's all kinds of different ways other than just spending money and setting it up in your closet. Right. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, that goes back to what I said when I started this show, God, almost 12 years ago now, 11 something years ago that. You know, I grew up as a survivalist, a prepper, whatever you want to call it, but no one said that, no one considered it that, no one talked about it. No one, and that wasn't like keep it on the down low or not talk about it. It was like, what do you mean? Like, of course you're prepared. I lived in rural Pennsylvania, uh, surrounded by coal mines and farms. If the power mm -hmm. went out and you didn't have your shit together, you froze to death. So guess yes. what? You got your shit together. Everybody was poor, and I mean a very poor area, like, you know, like, The difference between us and ghettos is we didn't have big buildings. We had small houses, right? And and it was like you grew food and you hunted and you fished because if you didn't, you couldn't afford to eat real good, you know? And then yes. when people got older in your community and you had a great big garden, you know, or you, you picked up a couple extra roadkill deer that year, well, you shared because you weren't an asshole. 
And you knew you'd be told yeah. someday too, and you'd want somebody to share with you. So, like, yeah. that was just the way things were. And I think a lot of rural America is still that way. You're just not going to see it on TV. Mm. And when you do, yeah. they're going to talk about it like it's some big thing. Like, oh, my God, look what happened over here. It's the same shit they do, like, when a woman has some guy try to grab her baby, and she's like a 120-pound woman, and she just beats the shit out of a 200-pound guy. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not no, shocked no. at all. I'm like, duh. Of course it happened. Yeah. It's her baby. She wants it more. And I think a lot of things they try to make like a big deal out of today are just, they're kind of normal. So I'm with you on the skills, the community, the relationships. Yeah, and if you got Willis in your life, man, you know, you're going to prep some because he's going to beat you about the head and shoulders till you do. <laughs> um, yeah. I take a little bit of credit for that myself, honestly, but uh, I think I got into his head, and I'm really happy about that. Um, Good. But, uh, but. There are there are also you know calls for things and stuff and gadgets and whatever that are useful. I have my EDC and all. So with that in mind, is there anything you've ever found online that you think is just a really cool bushcraft item or something like that? Man, all right. So I, I've been kind of watching this guy recently called Advoco Max. I think Advoco A D V O K O. Uh, you can just type in like on. Uh, you know, I don't want to su necessarily support them because they've uh, done some crazy stuff recently. But YouTube, okay. <laughs> okay. but uh, you you can Google or uh, you know look it up on on uh, YouTube Russian bushcraft, and he has made some. He's a really good. Uh, he does things right. He does them properly, and um, he's made some very neat things. The biggest thing that I've seen him make was this little plastic bottle. Uh, basically, you put a, uh, any kind of plastic bottle on it, and uh, it's just like a little. Uh, I don't know, gadget or gizmo, and you, you pull the, it makes plastic, uh, thread, you know, and he shows how to make that and stuff. And so he does all his, uh, a lot of his builds out in nature and stuff, uses, utilize, he just takes pl old plastic bottles and stuff and then pulls and makes this, uh, plastic binding rope, so to say, you know, just, uh, by pulling balls through that. I thought that was really neat, and he made some really neat kayaks just out of some nothing, you know, and he, he does it right. Well, using uh, stuff was, that's available, I think, is awesome. Yeah. I mean, If you've never caught a fish with an old bottle as a jug, I don't know what you're doing, man. You got to do that. But I think I actually, <laughs> I've done that lots. <laughs> I, I think I actually saw what you're talking about in our Facebook forum posted by one of our, our listeners. I don't know if it was that guy because you know how it is. Like a guy comes out with something. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then like every third YouTuber, look what I came up with. Yeah, you did. Sure you did. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know. Um, there was actually an old, a friend of mine who passed away several years ago named Ron Hood, who was kind of one of the pioneers in this whole space. Um, he came up with – it's not even he came up with it. This is a, a time-honored thing on how to basically make a compass using the sun and a stick and some rocks and getting your, your north-south line over just a few minutes of time. And he called it an Ottoman sun compass. Well, there's, there's no such – that's not a thing. Like, he just created the term for the hell of it so that any time anybody said, like, this is an Ottoman, he'd be like, okay, well, I know where that came from. So, like, like the Ottoman Empire? So he's, like, yeah. giving, like, a, a, oh, okay, so he's, like, like a kickback, even though it was, like, a new thing. All right, cool. It wasn't That's even cool. new. It's an old, old technique. It just it never yeah. had anything to do with the Ottomans, right? But he just yeah, called yeah. it that. So that when people would parrot it and repeat it and be like, well, I came up with this, and it's the, or you know, this is the ancient Ottoman sum compass or whatever. It's like, no, it's, it's a technique. So he, he, he was trolling before trolling was a thing. He was trolling before trolling was a thing. It was pretty cool, man. So anyway, man, I had a great time talking to you today. I, I, I really, yeah, yeah. uh, 
Uh, wish you and Tad and your other partners the best in what you're doing. And uh, stay in touch with us, man, because this is an evolving space, and I think that we're going to have a lot of new things to talk about going forward. So it seems like you guys have kind of went all in on the hemp side, and I think that makes a lot of sense right now. But I'll just remind everybody that the techniques you're using can be used to grow hemp, and they can be used to feed yourself. And uh, there's just so much available with aquaponics and indoor growing. It's something people need to uh, take a better look at because it solves a lot of problem with high-dollar crops that you really need to protect and tightly control. Yes, And your guys' website where people can uh, check out what you're doing? Uh, right now, uh, so we're working on a website, but our Facebook page, it's Electric Farms LLC. So you can put in facebook.com forward slash Electric Farms LLC. They'll pull it right up. But, uh, Jack, man, I, I really hope you the best, man. I've really liked uh, listening to your podcast since Tag got on with you. I've been following you on uh, YouTube, uh, watching that kind of stuff. Hope your keto or low-carb stuff goes well for you as well. Well, man, I appreciate that. Thanks for being with us today, man. All right. Have a good one, bud. Told you it was a great interview. I mean, there's a ton of value in there, whether you want to just grow your own, understand the industry, start a business in farming or not. I mean, the value of that interview and that conversation, if you didn't get a lot of value out of it, you just need to rewind it and listen to it again. I'm going to tell you right now, there were, there were things in that interview between the two of us that if you ever want to build anything into your life like a business – or like an agricultural pursuit that will that will save you more money and time than you can imagine and, and, and keep you on the right track. And a fascinating discussion of an industry that is just emerging as well. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the show. I want to remind you, in addition to becoming a member, another way that you can support this show is just do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there whenever you're going to buy something online. Start there. Use our links. No matter what you buy, you help support the show and the work that we do. You'll also find all my reviews of Amazon items there, including uh, things that I use every day in my life. And everything there I use, I bought it, I paid for it, I'd spend my money on it again, or I will not recommend it. I don't put up you know, five, here's your five choices, and here's the best one and the worst one and the one in between. No, I don't do that shit. You guys know me. I'm like... Listen, if you want this, you want this thing for this reason because it's the best value to price ratio you can get. Today's a simple one. It's pepper, like black pepper. Hey, don't laugh, man. People used to travel all the way to China on the back of a jackass to get pepper because it's that valuable. Today, you can get pepper at any store, but you either get good pepper or crappy pepper. Let me tell you what you want. When it comes to black pepper, you want tillichery pepper. Tillichery pepper is grown in a very specific region. This is kind of like the, you know, you hear San Marzano tomatoes. Uh, there's like the ones labeled that, and there's the ones that are really grown in the right place. That's how tillichery pepper is. They can label it whatever they want in certain places, but you want the real deal. The place, of course, is called Tillichery, and it is a city on the Malabar coast in Kerala, India. It is considered some of the finest peppercorns in the world and one of the few names in pepper that people are even familiar with. You want this when you buy black pepper. Now, you need to buy from a company that's actually getting you pepper from this place. They didn't just throw a name on there and you know ship something out of a warehouse in China where there's no control. Spicy World is a reputable company. This product has over 2,000 reviews with 4.5 stars overall. When you taste it, you'll understand why. And here's the thing. This is like a premium 
product. I know it's only pepper, but it's a premium product. A pound of it, $10.95, and if you're a Prime member, which you should be, you get free shipping on it. Compare that, you go out and you buy a little jar of good pepper, not like, you know, McCormick or something, and you pay four to five bucks for a couple ounces versus $10.95 for a pound. Get some jelly jars, you know, the little half-pint jars. It'll fill like three and three-quarters of those. Use the three-quarter full one to start filling your pepper mill. You need to have a pepper mill to use peppercorns, I'm just saying. And as the jars, when you get down to where you have one jar left, order another pound of this. You'll save a little bit of money. You'll have a much better product. And if you do this, like I always teach, with all your seasonings and spices, it's a couple bucks here and a couple bucks there. And you know what? Over a few years, it's hundreds of dollars that are retained in your household budget versus spent for a superior product. My rule, if you can get better and pay less, do that. With this product, you get to do that, and trust me. This is an experiment for you. Those of you that buy, like, McCormick or Joe Blows or whatever pepper, you have a big, you know, like, 10-ounce plastic bottle that you get at the store or the little plastic, whatever it is. Give me a shot on, on my recommendations on herbs, seasoning, spices, right? Buy this, grind some of it, smell it and taste it compared to whatever you buy in the supermarket. Get back to me if I'm wrong. And I don't expect to hear from any of you, other than to maybe say, Jack was right. Check it out. Spicy World Black Chilitary Peppercorns, available at tspaz, T-S-P-A-Z.com, where when you shop there, you help us no matter what you buy. That brings us to our song of the day today. Song of the day today is a by a man who needs no introduction, but the song might. It's a very recent song for him, even though he's been around almost forever, the granddaddy of country music, certainly one of the few legends of country that is still with us, hasn't passed on yet, and it's kind of what he's singing about. Of course, I'm talking about the red-headed stranger himself, Willie Nelson. This song is called Come On Time, and in this song, Willie starts out with talking about how he's beaten time before, but he ends up admitting, in the end, time will win the game. Look at all these wrinkles in my face, how do they get there, things like that. And I can't kill you, time. You'll keep on coming. Now, you know what that makes you think of, doesn't it? The dash. The dash that I always talk about. That dash, that hyphen that they'll put between the year you were born and the year that you will die. Every single person on the planet, but certainly within the sound of my voice, will die at some point. Me too. We'll all die. We get a limited amount of time here on this earth. And time, time is a doctor and a predator. Time is a doctor because time heals wounds. There's a saying that time heals all wounds. And I think it's true because even some people say, well, you know, this thing happened to me a long time ago and it's still with me. Yeah, but it's healed. That doesn't mean it's healed 100%. So time is a surgeon. Time is a doctor. But time is also a predator. Time eventually overtakes you and wins the game. And the world goes on and you don't. So you need to make the best of your dash. This man, Mr. Willie Nelson, has definitely made the best of his dash. I encourage you to do so as well. Let me remind you here at the end on that. Tomorrow will be a rewind. Tomorrow will be a rewind. And Friday, episode 2500 will be over three hours of people telling you how TSP has made a difference in their life. But let me tell you what it really is. It's how they're spending their dash. That's what this show is all about, spending that dash in the wisest way possible. Because sooner or later, time will win the race, but you can win the marathon. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. 
helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Is my friend, my friend The more I reject it The more that it kicks in Just enough to keep me on my toes I say, come on, time I've beat you before Come on, time What have you got for me this time? I'll take your words of wisdom And I'll try to make them right Hey, it's just me and you again Come on, time Time, you're not fooling me You're something I can't kill You're flying like a mighty wind You're never standing still You passed me by Why did you leave these lines on my face You sure have put me in my place Come on time Come on time It looks like you're winning the race Time, you're not fooling me You're something I can't kill You're flying like mighty wind You're never standing still Time, as you pass me by Why did you leave these lines on my face? You sure have put me in my place Come on time, come on time, it looks like you're winning the race, come on time, come on time, it looks like you're winning the race.